Hi folks, we want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time here at the Kerbinsville Christian Church. And in our adult time, we are doing a survey through the Old Testament. So we're making our way through the Old Testament, giving you an idea of its place in moving up to uh, the reality of Jesus Christ. In fact, as we've done this survey through the Old Testament, we've been looking at God, his people, and the Messiah. So now we are in a section of books, three books, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, that take place after the Babylonian captivity. And it kind of shows the return to the land. In fact, that's what we're entitling this series, The Return to the Land. And so in today's lesson, we're in lesson three. We're looking at the second return and the people's sin. We're looking in, in particular at Ezra chapter 7, verse 1, through chapter 10, verse 44. So let's begin our study. So first thing you've got to understand, we're kind of getting our time frame now with verse 1 after chapter 6. So here's what I want you to notice. Verse 1 begins with this phrase, now after these things, okay? So what's happening here is, is now when you come to chapter 7, it's kind of like a beginning of a new narrative. And that's exactly what's taking place here. So when it says this phrase, now after these things, it refers to Ezra 6 that took place 57 years before Ezra 7. So let's remind ourselves. In Ezra 6, we are seeing the completion of the temple by Zerubbabel. It happens during the reign of Darius the Great. Now, just so you realize, when you come to Ezra chapter 7, we're going to be introduced to a king now who's called Artaxerxes I. Who is that? Well, that's the grandson of Darius the Great. In between this time, in this 57 years that's in between, we're going to see Darius the Great, not in the scripture, but history tells us that he had a son who was Xerxes, Xerxes I. Xerxes is the king who made Esther queen. That's from the book of Esther, which we will look at in the future. Esther is his queen. Now, Xerxes, we will know from history later on, is murdered by his captain of the bodyguard, and his son, Artaxerxes I, course kills that guy whoever's involved in that conspiracy and he now becomes king this is the king that we're seeing here in chapter 7 so Ezra 7 takes place during the reign of Artaxerxes the first now if you remember you might be saying well George I thought this is just a common title Artaxerxes yes it is Artaxerxes means lord it's kind of like a title like pharaoh or Caesar, and the kings would assume that. But when we talk about Artaxerxes I, he is known as Artaxerxes I Longamus. Longamus means long-handed. What does that mean? Well, it's because he had a deformed hand. So this is the king of Persia during this time. Now, when you look at Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 to 10, it's focused on introducing us to Ezra, Ezra the priest, or he's also known as Ezra the scribe. 
So Ezra's lineage is traced back to Aaron, the high priest, brother of Moses. If you remember, when they came out of Egypt, God established the tribe of Levi, and in particular the family of Aaron, to be priests before him forever. And Ezra is from that line. He is from the lineage of the high priest. He's not the high priest, but he's from that lineage. So it also tells us in these verses that Ezra came up from Babylon. So he was an exile living in Babylon. And he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses. So basically he was an authority on the Mosaic law. He was a priest and a scribe, an expert in the Mosaic law. Now, the text also tells us that Ezra was granted all that he requested by Artaxerxes according to the hand of the Lord. So Ezra obviously approached Artaxerxes concerning the issue of going back to Israel to teach them the law. And so whatever his requests were, were given by Artaxerxes I. And it was because the hand of God was upon him. He was being shown favor by the Lord. So Ezra, with other Jews, Levites, and priests, and singers, what do you mean singers, George? Singers who would sing in the temple, came to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes. So in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, Ezra returns with a second group, a second group who would be going with him. Now the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem took Ezra four months to complete with God's favor. That's amazing. So it only took a four-month journey. So basically, they're down here. If you've got in your mind a, a, a map, a map of Babylon, as well as what's happening there in the Middle East. So they're down here. they got to travel up the, up the Euphrates, along the Fertile Crescent, up to what is northern Syria, and then travel down into Israel, down to Judah, and ultimately in Jerusalem. And it only took them four months to do that. And, it, and the scripture makes it very clear as far as where Ezra is, as far as his heart and following the Lord. It said that Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law, to do it, and to teach the law in Israel. So here's a guy who is seeking after the word of God. He wants to do the word of God in his life, and he wants to teach others the word of God. And so that's what we see here with regards to the whole issue of Ezra and who he is as a person. Well, then you get to verse 11 through verse 28, and what we're going to see here now is a personal letter from Artaxerxes I to Ezra. It's a personal letter, but it's a letter that also is granting him authority. So the writer, which we assume is Ezra, records the personal letter that Artaxerxes gave Ezra the high priest. Excuse me, gave Ezra the priest. He's not the high priest. So here is a letter that Artaxerxes gave him. The king decreed that the people of Israel, priests and Levites, could volunteer to go back. So basically he's saying to them, look, you who are of the Jewish race, if you want to return from my kingdom and go back to Jerusalem and Judah, I'm allowing you to do that. 
Okay? So he's giving permission to do that. Now, with that, the king is sending a gift of money and supplies. So the king gave instructions about how the monies given by the king and how they were to be used. Okay? So basically about these monies, what they're to be used for, and how they're to be taken care of. Guidance was given to, the, to area treasurers concerning providing funds, further funds, to Ezra. So the letter also basically said that when they got there, there would be area treasurers from, from the empire who had the funds of the kingdom, and they were to provide certain amounts to Ezra to perform what he needed to do in Jerusalem, especially with regards to the temple. The king also gave Ezra authority to set up judges and execute people who disobeyed the law. So what we see here is that the power to execute someone was not within the hands of the people. That was only with hand, in the hands of the officials from the empire, from the king. Well, he's given the authority now to Ezra to what? Set up judges so they can begin enforcing the law of Moses upon the people of Israel and execute anyone who did not want to do that. So bringing about the Mosaic law upon the people. So we're seeing that authority being given here. The writer blesses the Lord for moving the heart of the king to support the temple and Ezra. Isn't that awesome? So the writer here now, he kind of, after presenting this letter, he kind of makes a statement about how awesome God is in moving the heart of the king to support the temple and Ezra. Now, that brings us now, as we move along here, we get to chapter 8, verses 1 to 14. Now, I'm only going to make one statement about these four ver 14 verses because basically what's happening here in these 14 verses is, is that Ezra, the writer, lists the heads of the families. So Ezra lists the heads of the families that accompanied him back to Jerusalem. That's all that's taking place here. It's kind of like, here's who went with me. And rather than listing each individual person, he lists the heads of the families. And so that's what we see here in verses 1 to 14. Now, when you come to verses 15 through 36 of chapter 8, he's going to give an account as far as the journey from, Jerus from Babylon to Jerusalem and Judah. So here's what happens. So as Ezra was ready to make the journey, he discovered that there were no Levites with them. Okay, remember what the task of the Levites were. The Levites were a tribe of Israel. They did not have an inheritance. Their inheritance was the temple. Their inheritance was, they were the inheritance that was given to the people to teach the people the word of God. They were also to serve in certain roles in the temple as well. So here he is, he's getting ready, he's on a journey to, to instruct people in the Mosaic Law. He's looking at the group who's traveling with him, and what he finds is, is there's no Levites with him, so they can't leave. So here's what he does. Messengers went to recruit Levites to, Levites to go with them, and 38 Levites from two families responded. 
So rather than moving on, he said, oh, we can't leave yet. So he sends messengers. They go back to the exile community, and they try to recruit Levites to go with them. And there are two particular families that provided Levites, and there were 38 in number who responded. Here's what else happens. Once the Levites joined them, the monies were divided among the heads of the household. So rather than just having one big wagon with all that the king gave, they divided the funds between the heads of the household so that it would all be divided on this four-month journey and they would be responsible to make sure that it got there. Now, they were to carry their portion to Jerusalem and give it to the leaders at the temple. So these leaders would receive a portion. They then would carry it up as they made the journey. Once they got to Jerusalem, all the leaders then would regather in the temple and present it to the leaders of Jerusalem and the temple as a gift from the king. Once the group arrived safely with God's protection, they delivered the monies to the temple. So it basically says, look, they did that. So they arrived safely and made it back with God's protection. Now, the interesting thing about God's protection here, the text tells you very clearly that Ezra did not request an armed presence in going. What do you mean he didn't request it? Well, it's interesting because when you make that journey from Babylon up the Fertile Crescent down into Israel, the reality is, is that you're going to be facing raiders along the way. And how you deter that from your convoy, from your caravan, is to what? Have armed soldiers with you. But Ezra didn't do that. They were going to rely upon the Lord. And with God's protection, they were able to make that journey in four months and make it to Jerusalem and what? They made it safely and they delivered their monies to the temple. The leaders then, if you come to chapter 9, we're going to look at chapter 9 and chapter 10, which is now the final section of the book of Ezra, which is what? The people's sins and reform. We're going to see their sin and actually judgment. Here's what happens. The leaders, when Ezra gets there, reported to Ezra that the people and the priests had intermarried with the nations around them. So here we go again, back to the same old sin that has plagued Israel from the time that they were in the wilderness, is that they intermarry with the peoples around them. Remember, God brought a plague upon them when they were in the wilderness, when they, what? Intermarried with the Amorites. God was bringing judgment upon them. And this was a sin that they struggled with throughout the, up until the time of the Babylonian captivity. And what did they do? God punished them by 70 years in the exile. They now return back to the land by God's grace. And what do they do? Fall back into the same old sin. They reported that some of them had engaged in the detestable practices of the Canaanites. What's the detestable practices of the Canaanites? Here's the reality. They were going back to idolatry. Wow, again. 
here we are, just one generation, or maybe even two generations, since their return to the land, their grace being shown to them, the rebuilding of the temple, and they're already intermarrying with the nations around them, and they're engaging in false idolatry worship. It was reported that some of the leaders were foremost in intermarriage and idolatry. It's not just that the people were doing it. Some of these leaders were informing Ezra that the leaders themselves were foremost in doing this. So we've got a major problem happening here. Now, Ezra responded. Okay, so here's Ezra. He's from the lineage of Aaron. He understands what's going on. His task is to teach the word of God, the Mosaic law, to the people. He does it. He wants them to do it. He's been given authority to, to judge the people based upon that. So here's what he does. He responds by tearing his clothes and pulling his hair out in grief. The text is very clear. He tears his clothes in grief, and he not just doesn't just pull his hair out. He pulls literally his beard out of his face. Why is he doing that? He is in agony about what's going on. Here's what he does. He sits down in the dirt and contemplates what's going on. Contemplates what's going on. Here's what happens. Ezra prayed and confessed with embarrassment the continuing problem of sin with the people. All right, so notice something here. Ezra isn't just confessing, just, oh God, forgive us, the guys have done wrong. No, what is he doing here? He's saying, God, we've got a problem, and it's been a continual problem with our people from the beginning. Look, folks, when you start looking all the way back at Exodus to the point where they were taken into captivity. They struggled with the same sins over and over. And Moses told them they would do that. From the point of what? When they're in the wilderness worshiping the goat gods to the point of embracing the gods of the Canaanites and their evil practices to the point of bringing God's judgment upon them and destroying Jerusalem and the temple, taking them away 70 years in exile to serve the Babylonian king. Here they are coming back, and guess what they do? They go back to the same thing again. You just want to say, wow, don't they learn? Yeah, you want to say that, but the reality is, is we're just like them. We know, but yet we continue in our same sin patterns. And so Ezra is praying and confessing with embarrassment the continuing problem of sin with the people. Ezra acknowledged the grace of God in letting them return to the land. So he's acknowledging the grace of God here and letting them come back to the land. Amazing. Just simply amazing here. God, you have been gracious. You let us come back. Ezra confessed the sin of intermarriage and that they have directly disobeyed the law. See, here's the thing. It's not like, well, are you sure this is wrong? God specifically told them in the law not to marry with the nations nor to do the things that the nations were doing. And here they are, directly disobeying God. 
Ezra stated that the Lord would be justified by destroying the remnant for their sin. This is where it's pretty bold. He basically says, look, God, if you just wiped us out right now, you would be fully justified because we have done wrong. We have done wrong. Just wipe us out. You would be justified in doing that. That's the attitude that he has here. Here's the next thing I want you to see. Ezra did not make a request of God, but simply placed them into the Lord's hands. When you read here his prayer, you're not going to see him say, oh God, please forgive us, give us another chance, help us. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything like that. He just confesses and he says, God, you would be justified in killing us, but he does do this. God, we're in your hands. We're in your hands. We're in your hands. But here's how God is gracious with them. How? Well, it says that after he prayed, the people gathered to Ezra. So the people gathered to Ezra and were weeping openly about their sin before the Lord. <clears throat> so the people are realizing the, the, the severity of what's going on. There is Ezra torn. His beard is plucked out. He is grieving. They're following suit by are grieving over their sin. And so here's what happens. One man, the text tells you his name, suggested that they make an oath before the Lord and put away the foreign wives just like the scripture tells them to do. The law told them what to do if they intermarried. Here's what they're going to do. They're going to put away their foreign wives and their children. Send them back. Purify yourself. And so he's saying that they make an oath before God and put away the foreign wives. So Ezra made the priests and the Levites swear an oath to do as this man suggested. So Ezra's wise here. He just doesn't decree it. He's got to get those who are with him leading the people to agree to this as well, the religious leaders. So he says to them, you guys... We're going to do what he says, but I need you to swear an oath to do it as well. Now, this is significant because some of these priests and Levites had done the sin as well. They had intermarried. And so now they're agreeing to do what's right. So Ezra called all of the people to gather in Jerusalem, and those who did not come would be cast out. Basically, it goes back to that whole Old Testament law that those who refused to adhere would be what? Cast out of the community. And here's what they, it goes a little bit further. And now remember, Ezra's got the authority to do it. They would lose their inheritance. They would lose their property. If they didn't show up, they would be cast out of the community, out of the people of God, and they would lose their property and their inheritance in the land. So he's calling all of the people to gather. So here's what they did. The people agreed to examine these marriages and pronounce judgment. So rather than examining them here in Jerusalem, they would then go back to their home areas. The elders would then examine the people who are intermarried with the nations and examine them and then pronounce judgment. So it's not that they would put away all of the wives because it's possible that maybe there was a marriage and the foreign wife became a believer or joined in worship of Yahweh. An instance of that would be, we already know, Ruth. Okay? Ruth is one. 
Remember, she was a Moabitist, okay? And as well as we know from the Old Testament, the reality of Rahab, the harlot. She was also an Amorite, a Canaanite, but she worshipped God and she was accepted into the community. And so what happens now is, is that these leaders in the home area are going to examine these marriages and those who are found to be truly foreign and worshiping their foreign gods, judgment would be pronounced on that marriage. What do you mean judgment? Well, they would be called to do what they had said that they would do. So the guilty would divorce their wives and send them and their children away. So basically they would put away their wives and send them away and their children back to where their wives came from. You say, that's a hard thing. Yes, it is, but that's what God called them to do, to purify the community. To purify the community. So now we come to the closing verses of chapter 10 and the closing of the book of Ezra. And so the book closes with the listing of those who were found guilty of intermarriage. Isn't that amazing? So those who were listed here are those who were guilty of the sin of intermarriage and they were to put away their wives and some of them, through the text, it shows they were leaders and they were called to do this. Now here's the problem. This is not something that just occurred. We're going to see that the problem is persistent when we get into the book of Nehemiah because he has to deal with the same issue as well. But that's next week's lesson. So we're done with the book of Ezra. We're going to get, move on to the second of these three books that happens after the Babylonian captivity, and that's with the book of Nehemiah, who is set during the reign of Artaxerxes I, so around the time of Ezra. And we're not done with Ezra because Ezra appears in the book of Nehemiah as well.